get your ass up and work. Wow, okay, let's let's calm down. Sup, you beautiful bastards. Welcome back to the Philip DeFranco Show. And hey, buckle up, hit that like button, and let's just jump into it. Hey y'all, first up today, are celebrities out of touch? He asked sarcastically. That's what the people wanna know. Yes, the answer is yes, most all are. Hell, I'm like a D minus F list celebrity and I pride myself on coming from a lower to lower middle income household, paying my way through college, although I didn't end up getting a degree, so just giving other people money for a few years, <laughs> working in labor industries, retail, food service, the, the list goes on. But y'all, I'm also self-aware enough to go, I've been filming some shows this week from my fucking home theater. Where I think it gets into this really disgusting bad place is when you have out of touch rich people telling people less fortunate than themselves, you're not even trying. Your work ethic is why I'm here and you're there. Wait, let's go lower. And that is one of the primary reasons that Kim Kardashian has been in the news cycle over the last 48 hours. Or because she and part of the Kardashian clan, they did this interview with Variety about their new Hulu show. And during it, she said, I have the best advice for women in business. Get your up and work. It seems like nobody wants to work these days. You That's have to, so true. You have to surround yeah. yourself with people that want to work. Have a good work environment where everyone loves what they do because you have one life. No toxic work environments and show up and do the work. And unsurprisingly, all of those remarks, or at least some of them, did not land well with a lot of people. Or some saying Kim isn't in the position to tell people that if they want to succeed, they should work since she was born into incredible wealth and benefited from it massively in her endeavors. Also arguing that most women probably work harder than Kim Kardashian every day, joking that she wouldn't last an hour in the food service industry. Others claiming her remarks are not just ignorant, but also hypocritical. Saying not Kim Kardashian, the woman who's being sued for her crypto scam, telling other women to get their ass up and work. And some pointing to headlines about her allegedly being sued by her staffers for not paying overtime and not giving breaks. And while Kim's representatives have denied wrongdoing and said that any potential issues stem from a third party, you still have people arguing that Kim wants people to work, but doesn't care if the people who work for her don't get their hard earned money. With other people claiming they've actually worked for her, also speaking out with some saying, I was an editor on the Kardashian apps in 2015 in LA, worked days, nights, and weekends, could only afford groceries from the 99 cents only store, called out sick more than once because I couldn't put gas in my car to get to the office and was reprimanded for freelancing on the side. Others even saying they worked for her for free. But ultimately where I'm gonna end this first story is my opinion is Kim Kardashian is only, uh, well, only. She's 80% an asshole for this statement. The get off your fucking ass and work, no one seems to want to work mentality, especially from someone so fucking rich, especially based off of just having smart people around them. Fuck you, Kim. Like, I still think it's completely wrong what Kanye has done to you very publicly and God knows what he's done and said privately. But in this specific avenue, you're speaking out of your ass. But two, there is actually a nugget of wisdom in this otherwise general assholishness. You have to surround yourself with people that want to work and I'll add there, people that lift you up, people that keep you positive, maybe sometimes also keep you humble. Because I do believe that it is a fact of life that you become the people that you keep around you. And so yes, that can extend to work ethic, but also people that believe in you, lift you up, they uh, they don't drag you down and if they warn you about something, you can actually tell they care about you and it's not because they just don't wanna see you succeed more or they just provide problems and no potential solutions. Because that shit is death. So I would say, take a look at, at who you keep around you because internally, that's who you're saying I'm worth having around. But yeah, that's a story, some of my opinion. And of course, now I pass the question off to you. What are your thoughts about her statement? Maybe even some of the things I've said. Anything at all, love to hear from you. And then let's talk about body image in the news. And part of the reason we're going through this door today is Sebastian Stan. And so for those that don't know, Sebastian Stan is in tons of Marvel films and shows as the Winter Soldier. So most of the time, like men in those movies, he has to bulk up for the part. But recently he played Tommy Lee in the Hulu series, Pam and Tommy. And for that role, he had to shed a lot of weight and be on the slimmer side. With him telling EW, not only was the weight loss incredibly difficult, but adding, I was trying to lose weight and I still felt I didn't lose enough weight. And people were telling me I was crazy and going, you have body dysmorphia now, which I 
always did anyway, with him actually saying that having body dysmorphia is really just part of the job given all he has to do to maintain his body for certain films. Adding anybody that has a healthy physique to some extent has body dysmorphia. Because once you're going into a peak, the best look possible, which by the way, I don't care what they say, unless there's like magic formulas out there, which there are, but some of us are not in that pocket, your body can only look at peak 100% for like maybe a week or something. At least how I've experienced it. And I mean diet and exercise and tanning and water and lighting and everything. And then you spend the rest of your time going, I'm not what I used to be, but it's all just in the head. And here's the thing, the issue of body image when it comes to this is very real and something that other actors have touched on. Right? It's a topic we've touched on on this show, right? There are no shortage of stories about female actresses being made to lose weight, told their bodies aren't good enough, held to dangerous and horrible double standards. But it's also a huge issue when it comes to men and it feels like it might not be as common of a talking point, which I think is why it's so great that any man who has an audience that, that deals with these issues speaks out. It's part of the reason, I think a little over a year ago on one of my secondary channels, so it was seen by fewer people, I spoke out about having an eating disorder and why we've also seen the likes of, you know, equally famous and important Channing Tatum speaking out, saying for a while he didn't want to do another Magic Mike movie because he didn't want to have to go through that process to get the Magic Mike body. It's, it's hard to look like, even if you do work out, to be and that to be kind that of in kind of shape is, is not, it's not natural. Do you have to it's, eat like so well? Like, yeah, you have to, not, well is not even, that's not even healthy. You have to starve yourself. Oh my God. I don't think when you're that lean, See, it's actually health is healthy. dangerous. It that's is, why. it's true. <laughs> I don't know how people that work a nine to five actually stay in shape because it's my full-time job and I can barely do it. You also had Richard Madden saying he's been told to lose weight and hit the gym. He's even had his fat rolls pinched and given tight costumes. And adding, we're projecting a very unrealistic body image. I find myself with actor friends after we've done a kind of barely eating, workout twice a day, no carving thing for these scenes, looking at each other and going, we're just feeding the same shit that we're against. And it's also why I think it's important that you have the Rob McElhenney's and Kumail Nanjiani's of the world, even when they get ripped saying, this is not normal. And the way that I want to close the story is that the reason I'm sharing this isn't because I'm like, hey, have these feelings about these famous actors, but rather because the issue that a lot of these men are talking about extend to regular everyday people. Every day in so many different forms of media that we consume, we are just seeing an impossible standard. But the only question being attached to it is, okay, what kind of unrealistic is it, right? Unrealistic effort that everyday people can't do? Is it surgery being like showcased as effort? Is it, uh, you know, just your everyday Photoshop and the thumbnails? I'm like, take the bags out. And so of course this extends to everyone, but especially because it does feel like a less talked about topic. If you are a man that is suffering from this, know that you're not alone in it. You're not weak. You're not some outlier. This is real everyday shit that people are going through. And then in case you need another reality TV series to hate watch, whether it's that you hate the content or even just yourself for watching it, Netflix has served up a new one called Byron Bays. Right? It's been described by some as an Australian Jersey Shore with models and Instagram influencers doing whatever it is they're doing in the small beach town of Byron Bay. Whereas Netflix explained it is a docu-soap following a feed of hot Instagrammers living their best lives, being their best selves, creating the best drama content, hashtag no filter guaranteed. I want to slam my fucking head against a wall for reading that. We have fallen so far from the Lord's light. But uh, the reason that we're talking about this today isn't just because it's just general regular garbage. The show premiered on Wednesday eliciting a polarized response on social media with some hating it, others loving it despite hating it. But notably it sparked another controversy, which is why we're giving it any airtime whatsoever, namely the complete and utter revolt from the local Byron Bay residents who absolutely do not want this show invading their town, right? Immediately after Netflix announced the series last spring, the community of around 10,000 people organized emergency meetings, petitions, and protests with 100 surfers doing a paddle out, which to a lot of outsiders like us sounds like nothing, but it's usually reserved for the death of a loved one. And in addition to some of the big complaints being that the show is tarnishing the reputation of Byron Bay, and others arguing that Netflix is exploiting the exotic aesthetics of spiritual healers and crystals while ignoring the town's cultural significance to the aboriginal people who have actually lived there for over 22,000 years, is another big issue people are frustrated about is the already expensive housing market the show is now gentrifying. Right last summer, the median house price spiked to around $1.8 million, more than double the cost in Sydney, suddenly making Byron 
Bay, the priciest housing market in Australia. With the problem going back even further with the Hemsworth brothers, Zac Efron, Matt Damon, and Nicole Kidman all either buying property in recent years or having prolonged stays. And so now the town's been transformed into this luxurious celebrity hideaway and Netflix is putting the cherry on top with this new show. So now you've got wealthy investors grabbing properties and turning them into Airbnbs for out-of-town visitors, which has resulted in regular locals being priced out and forced to live in their cars or just leave entirely, which has even affected local businesses that can't hire enough staff. With local artist Holly English saying, over 10 years ago, people who had a disability were on low income or single parents and students were already priced out. Only if you bought here before the boom or have a fuck ton of money can you afford to live here. So that's why so many people have been desperately trying to keep Netflix out for the past several months. And in addition to the protests, you also had some businesses and restaurants denying Netflix filming permission on their property. Hell, you even have the mayor asking the town council for help getting the show's production shut down. Now, as far as the other side of this, the director of the local content for Netflix Australia, New Zealand said, I think we were all very surprised by it in terms of the intensity of the reaction. And adding, and I think what I hope, what I feel and really have a lot of faith in is that when people see the show, they will understand what it was that we were going to do. But critics have essentially responded, yeah, like what, making a ton of money. But hey, that's a story. And with this, I'd love to know your thoughts, whether it be on the show or this crazy situation going on behind the scenes. But from that, I want to take a second to thank the fantastic sponsor of today's show, Squarespace. You know, I've been partnering with Squarespace for years now. And I have to say, if you're getting your business off the ground or creating a place to share your homemade goods, new favorite hobby, current obsession, or even a personal blog to get all those thoughts out of your head, no matter what it is you're doing, Squarespace is there to help. And it's so easy. There's nothing to install, patch, or upgrade ever. And creating a beautiful website with Squarespace's all-in-one platform has never been so simple. It's extremely intuitive and easy to use. And with their mobile optimized websites, your content automatically adjusts. Your content looks great on any device. Plus, with Squarespace, you get access to all their marketing tools and analytics and their award-winning customer care team via email or live chat 24-7. So if you want to check it out, see why so many others have loved to see if it's right for you, start your free trial today over at squarespace.com phil. When you realize, wow, I love this, make sure you enter an offer code phil to get 10% off your first purchase. And then, if you want to open up a dispensary in New York, you're probably going to need to be a convict first. Right, so what I'm talking about is that the state's Office of Cannabis Management just released its first set of proposed regulations ahead of recreational marijuana dispensaries being opened in the state. And very, very notably, one of the provisions states that the initial batch of licenses for these businesses should be reserved for those with past marijuana-related convictions or their close family members. Though, also nonprofits that have served individuals with past marijuana convictions will also be eligible. But also, that's just one set of requirements. Applicants will also need to demonstrate that they have experience running a successful business. Right, and this is absolutely huge because this policy is part of the state's efforts to ensure that the people who get in early on what is projected to be a billion dollar industry are from the communities that were most impacted by the criminalization of marijuana and the war on drugs. Specifically, by baking these rules into law, officials are trying to prevent issues that other states saw with social equity when they enacted their legal marijuana laws. Right, in many places that enacted early weed laws like California and Washington, minority applicants as well as small mom and pop businesses often have a hard time competing with large corporate dispensary operations. Right, so you have these small guys that saw where everything was gonna go, they, they helped break the ground, and then they just get fucked by these giant companies that can outdo everything they do. But also, this isn't the only area where New York aims to be more progressive here. The law that legalized possession and recreational use also mandated that half of all marijuana-related licenses, which includes those for farmers, must be earmarked for women, minorities, distressed farmers, veterans, as well as individuals who have lived in communities disproportionately impacted by the drug war. And beyond that, the state's governor has also proposed a plan that is likely to be passed by the legislature, which would create a $200 million fund to help licensees set up their businesses, including helping secure storefronts. Now, granted, the cynic in my head is like, oh, well, big corporations are gonna be able to exploit this still somehow. But I mean, speaking more generally, I personally love the idea of helping those who help break through this industry 
actually be here and, and prosper while they, it's legitimate. And ultimately for the New Yorkers watching this show who I, I know have stayed away from marijuana because you only want to smoke it legally. Officials say that you can expect to see the first wave of dispensaries by the end of this year. And then, y'all, I never thought I'd be saying this, but Donald Trump was right about local election officials doing shady bullshit in the 2020 elections. Except, as it turns out, it was an election official who supported him. Right, so yesterday, a grand jury indicted a Colorado elections official on 10 criminal counts regarding allegations that she tampered with election equipment after being inspired by Donald Trump's false claims that he won the election. And that official is Tina Peters. She served as a county clerk and recorder in Mesa County and is currently running to be the Secretary of State for Colorado, which is literally the person who oversees elections. Right, Tina rose to prominence among election deniers for using her role as a top election administrator in the county to promote Trump's election fraud conspiracies. And according to the indictment, Peters, with help from her deputy, allegedly snuck an unauthorized person in to secure parts of her office to make copies of sensitive voting machine hard drives before and during an annual update of the system. With information from those machines, as well as secure passwords later being leaked online and displayed at an election symposium attended by Peters that had been organized by conspiracy theorist and my pillow guy, Mike Lindell. The indictment also claiming that Peters and her deputy lied to other county staff and people who work at the Secretary of State's office. Beyond that, it accuses the two of committing identity theft against a local man to give the unauthorized person access to the voting machine so they could copy the hard drives. And so now, according to reports, Peters is facing seven felony charges as well as three misdemeanors, with her deputy also being indicted on six counts. And as far as Peters' side of things, in a statement yesterday, she asserted that the charges against her were politically motivated and intended to undermine her campaign for Secretary of State. Also saying that she would not disband her campaign, rejecting calls from the GOP leadership in Colorado, which asked that any Republican candidate who was indicted with felonies by a grand jury suspend their campaign. And so while of course, like with everything else, we're gonna have to wait to see what happens, very notably here, this is not done. There's reportedly an ongoing investigation into the matter and the Colorado Attorney General just said yesterday that as it continues, more people could be charged. But regardless what happens there, these charges are still incredibly significant because experts say that Peters is now the first election official to be hit with criminal charges in regards to the conspiracy theories about the 2020 election. And then let's talk about Congress trying to do another thing. With yesterday, the House passing a massive $1.5 trillion spending bill to fund the government and prevent a shutdown when the current spending package runs out tomorrow at midnight. And the passage of this measure is a very big deal because it comes after months of negotiations and represents the first major government spending proposal of Biden's presidency. Now understand, this is a whopper of an omnibus bill and we can't talk about everything that's in it, but I do want to highlight some of the key elements. Overall, the package was divided into two parts, a defense portion that would provide $782 billion for the military and a non-defense portion that would allocate $730 billion for domestic programs. And very notably here, both areas were passed with broad bipartisan support, though the defense portion gained more Republican votes. So starting with the defense section, the most talked about provision included there was definitely the $13.6 billion in emergency aid set aside for Ukraine, more than double what the Biden administration had initially requested, with roughly half of that, or $6.5 billion, going to the Pentagon for military assistance, like sending troops to the region and transferring defense equipment to Ukraine, and another $6.7 billion going towards humanitarian and economic assistance in the region to help both refugees who fled Ukraine and people who remained in the country. And in addition to a range of other defense spending priorities, Democrats were also able to secure funding for many notable domestic policies, with party leaders cheering the $46 billion increase in domestic spending in this year's package, which they said was the biggest in four years. This, among many other measures, including reauthorizing the Violence Against Women Act, expanding the maximum size of Pell Grants for undergrads with financial needs to $6,895 a year, a move that will help millions of students, allocating $12.6 billion for the IRS, providing $17.5 billion for high poverty K to 12 schools and $11 billion to Head Start, the federal program that promotes school readiness for low income families, giving $26.9 billion for child nutrition programs, and setting aside $53.7 billion for the Department of Housing and Urban Development. Now, all that said, while there is a lot included in this bill, it's also very notable as far as what isn't. But probably the most significant provision that was scrapped from the package was the $15.6 billion in pandemic aid, a figure that was already much lower than Biden's request of $22.5 billion, which is 
administration said was urgently needed for testing, therapeutics, vaccines, and more. With Republicans resisting spending any new money on COVID, prompting Democrats to agree that they would take funding from existing programs like the $7 billion that had already been set aside under the $1.9 trillion stimulus package before. But you did have other Democrats objecting to that, as did governors from both sides of the aisle because their states were counting on that aid. But also, notably, House Democrats did introduce a standalone bill for that funding, but its future does remain uncertain in the Senate. But hey, when you have bipartisan support in the House, that usually means, hey, there is hope in the Senate. And so as far as what's gonna happen with this omnibus package, we have to wait. It's headed to the Senate, which is expected to vote on the matter later this week. And of course, the last thing that we're gonna talk about today, I wanna talk about Ukraine before we go into our regular weekend break. Right, so the biggest news right now is the confirmation that Russia targeted and hit a maternity ward yesterday in the besieged city of Maripol, leading to at least three dead and 17 wounded. An attack that would be a clear violation of international law and a war crime, so it's not surprising that President Zelensky condemned the attack and said, a children's hospital, a maternity ward, how did they threaten the Russian Federation? What is this country, the Russian Federation, that is afraid of hospitals, maternity wards, and is destroying them? Hospitals and schools are destroyed, churches and ordinary buildings are destroyed, people are killed, children are killed. The aerial bombing of a children's hospital is the ultimate evidence that genocide of Ukrainians is happening. However, with this, you had Russian figures pushing back against that rhetoric, with Russian Foreign Minister Sergei Lavrov claiming today that the hospital was in fact a legitimate target because it was being used by the Azov Battalion, which is a key claim there because it lines up with Russia's claims that they are denazifying Ukraine as the battalion is one of the few neo-Nazi aligned groups that's been fighting in the Donbass region for years. But I do need to be clear here that there is essentially no proof that the Azov Battalion was in this hospital and Maripol's mayor wasn't having any of Lavrov's lies, saying it's a total lie. Everything that was said, each word was absolutely not true. And also claiming that upwards of 1,200 civilians have died in Maripol so far. And the thing is, it's far easier to believe him over Foreign Minister Lavrov when Russia has a history of leveling cities indiscriminately and even targeting hospitals. They did it in Grozny, which is a Russian city. They did it in Syria as well, and now in Ukraine. And these blatant, horrific attacks on civilians have unsurprisingly led to a lot of frustration from Zelensky, who again, called for a no-fly zone to be implemented and tweeted out, direct strike of Russian troops at the maternity hospital. People, children are under the wreckage. Atrocity. How much longer will the world be an accomplice ignoring terror? Close the sky right now. Stop the killings. You have power, but you seem to be losing humanity. While Ukraine has suffered a ton of civilian casualty, American officials estimate Russians have lost five to 6,000 soldiers in the first two weeks of battle, and saying that standard battlefield math assumes three times as many wounded as killed, so that would put the number of wounded at 15,000 to 18,000. Also, moving on from the situation on the ground in Ukraine, I wanna take a second to look at how people in Russia are doing, because while they're not having to deal with bombs being dropped on their apartments, their maternity wards, they are increasingly feeling an economic impact by this war. So first off, as expected, VPNs are taking off in the country. This not only because tech companies are withdrawing services from the country, but also because Putin has blocked sites like Facebook and Twitter alongside cracking down on online dissent, with one report showing that downloads for the top 10 VPNs in Russia increased by over 4,000%, and VPN Surfshark reporting that average weekly sales increased by 35 times, and in a statement to Bloomberg, the company is saying the last time we saw a similar increase in sales was when China passed the Hong Kong security law in May of 2020. Also, of the big tech companies, Twitter seems to be making the most effort to restore services in Russia and announced yesterday that the Tor Onion Network, which reroutes a user's traffic to obscure its origin, was now on its list of supported browsers. Also on top of this, we saw other corporate giants and other sectors pulling out of Russia. 3M, which produces pretty much everything, announced their pullout from Russia, and Sony also announcing that it would stop releases and sales for the PlayStation platform and associated games in Russia. But also with all these companies pulling out, the country is threatening to strike back, with the ruling United Russia Party threatening to nationalize the assets of foreign firms that leave. And on top of that, a decree was issued this week that effectively allows patent theft from international companies that are designated unfriendly. And the country is also considering removing trademark protections. You know how McDonald's was like, okay, we're shutting everything down? McDonald's might be opened up again, or at least a company called McDonald's that does the exact same thing, but is completely owned and controlled by some Russian oligarchs. But ultimately, that is where we are right now. And 
whether it be this final story or anything today, I'd love to hear from you in those comments down below. But ultimately, that is where that story and today's show ends. As always, thank you for watching, like, and subscribe, and sharing these videos to help spread some common sense news coverage. Also, friendly reminder, grab what you want while you can over at beautifulbastard.com. That drop is almost done. But with that said, of course, as always, my name's Philip DeFranco. You've just been filled in. I love your faces, and I'll see you next time.